Welcome to Crawl Space. I'm Tim here today with Lance. Lance, how are you today? I'm doing great, Tim. How are you today? I am doing fantastic. Thank you for asking. And Lance, we have a really interesting interview today. It's with an artist, a courtroom artist, and her name is Jane Rosenberg. That's right. We didn't know about Jane until there was an article written describing a moment in the courtroom trial of Ghislaine Maxwell where Miss Maxwell had turned and started sketching Jane as Jane was sketching her. And it was such a bizarre moment, such a fascinating article that we reached out to Jane to find out more about that. And the more we learned about Jane, the more interesting that whole world became. I I never personally thought much about it. But if you go to her website, janerosenbergart.com, you'll see where she has her personal paintings. And she's got a bunch of other uh, court art galleries where you can check out various other trials that she's covered and you'll find that she's covered a lot of these high profile cases like r kelly and mia farrow and woody allen it's pretty remarkable okay so i really hope you enjoy this episode i really think you will it's an interesting angle something that happens in crime all the time and something that we we've never really discussed and lance something that we are discussing is CrimeCon 2022 in las vegas we're going aren't we we are going to CrimeCon in Vegas. That is April 29th, 30th, and May 1st. Those are the dates. We will be there, and we're going to bring along a lot of our partners in true crime, and we can't wait to hang out with you all. And if you've been on the fence about whether or not to purchase a standard badge, go to CrimeCon.com, and you can get 10% off your standard badge with the promo code CRAWLSPACE. Okay, everybody, thanks a lot. We're going to take a quick break here, and we'll be right back with Jane Rosenberg. Hi, I'm Matt Harris. Seton Tucker and I host the podcast Impact of Influence, which for two years covered in-depth Alec Murdoch, who was eventually convicted in 2023 of murdering his wife Maggie and son Paul. That story continues to evolve, and we will cover that. Plus, we will tell you stories of other true crime events that have happened in the South. Please join us on Impact of Influence. And give us a follow on the Impact of Influence Facebook page. True terrors of horror, bizarre happenings, unexplainable events. On our podcast, Disturbed, Terror Takes Center Stage. Each episode is a journey into the darkest corners of human existence, delving into bone-chilling tales of kidnappings, serial killers, maniacs, and the very essence of your worst nightmares coming to life on this weekly true horror show. Disturbed is not for the faint of heart. It's an exploration of real, unadulterated horror sourced from everyday people. Each episode is a descent into the macabre, where we narrate stories that will leave you on the edge of your seat and crawling in your skin. We navigate the disturbing narratives that lurk in the shadows, offering a raw and unfiltered listen into the most terrifying aspects of the human experience. Enter at your own risk and let the unsettling tales unfold in the haunting realm of Disturbed. And remember, listeners, stay safe out there.
Welcome to the podcast, Jane Rosenberg. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? We're doing great, and uh, we're super excited about this interview. We have been excited about this since the article came out in The uh, Guardian that's just titled My Life is Weird, and you describe a moment in the uh, Ghislaine Maxwell trial where you are sketching, you're a courtroom sketch artist, you are sketching her, looking at you, sketching her, and she's sketching you back, which is... It's unusual, but it's actually not the first time it's ever happened to me. It did happen... Right before Glenn, there was another trial where the co-defendant was sketching me as well. So I thought maybe something happened during pandemic and I started to look very sketchable or something because two in a row suddenly. Plus, about 35 years ago, Eddie Murphy sketched me in uh, he's a he was a comedian. I think he was like on Saturday Night Live and there's a trial something to do with his agent. And he was making fun of me, mocking me, bobbing his head up and down, sketching me and did a little post-it size sketch and he gave it to me. I have it in my apartment somewhere. <laughs> this is amazing. And we really want to get into um, all of these fascinating stories, but tell the listeners a little bit about yourself. Uh, you are an artist and you got involved in courtroom sketching. Um, where did, How did it all begin? In the Crib, my mother said I used to peel crayons all the time, endlessly, hours and hours of peeling crayons. And I think I'm still doing that only. I'm peeling pastel chalks instead of crayons. So it began there. I was always interested in art. I did go to college and majored in art. I was a struggling artist for many years. I couldn't figure out what to do. After college, I went to the Art Students League. I studied portraiture. And then I started doing portraits in Provincetown, Massachusetts, as a matter of fact. And um, I did that for many summers. And then in the winters, I'd go to the Art Students League. And I just needed, needed to break that and figure out a way to stay put. So I didn't want to keep living like a gypsy going back and forth. I, I did all kinds of things. I drew on the sidewalk with chalks. I did copies of Rembrandt and Vermeer on the sidewalk with a hat out. And I just couldn't figure out what I was going to do to make a living. So then I went to a lecture at the Society of Illustrators by another courtroom artist. And I decided I want to do this. I'm going after it. I, look at, I took a look in the mirror and I said, this is what I want. I don't know if I'm good enough. I was terrified, but I was going after it. And I started going to night court with friends of mine who were lawyers and friends of mine who were lawyers. And they, in those days, this is 1980 when I began, there were a lot of prostitutes being arraigned in night court at 100 Center Street. And I did sketching and I was putting together a portfolio and I asked the court officers, where do the artists sit when they come? What do they bring? I had a million questions for them. They said, oh, come next week. We'll let you sit in the jury box with the other artists. It's a high profile case. So I went to court that day and sat. There were two other artists. One had Fox on his portfolio and I didn't know who the other one was. And I did my sketch and I came home and I, I just decided I have to try to sell it. I, I called the startup company back then, which was CNN. They were just a startup company. And they said, oh, we had an artist there. So I thought, oh, now I have to call one of the big three. And I called NBC. They said, come in, show us what you've got. And I did that. They used it put it on TV. I went home and watched it on my little black and white TV. 
called my parents and said, I'm on TV. I was very excited. So that's how it all began, being a courtroom artist. That's fascinating. I didn't even know I was so fascinated by this until I read the article and then looked at your website, which is your name.com, followed by art, sorry, janerosenbergart.com. I, I didn't realize how fascinating the world of the courtroom sketch artist is. Are you just sometimes sitting there sketching Woody Allen and thinking to yourself, I'm sketching Woody Allen? When I was sketching Woody Allen, I was thinking, I can't believe I'm sketching Woody Allen. And actually, when I first felt that was when I sketched Mick Jagger. This is like early on in my career, and maybe it was 1984 or something, 83 or four, really early on. And I, I couldn't, I was so starstruck. He walked in the courtroom and, oh, there's Mick Jagger. It was a big deal for me. It's just a, a little thing with, he also had a some issue with an agent or something like that, royalties. But yes, I, in the early days, I was starstruck. And I don't think I have that anymore. But that was the early days. Yeah. And you mentioned that you peeled uh, crayons as a as a kid. And there's a little bit about your process in, um, in the article from The Independent. Tell us a little bit about uh, your process and what you use to do your sketches. I don't use crayons anymore. I use I, I use pastels on Canson pa Me Tint Pastel Paper. It's a French kind of archival pastel paper. It's about 20 by 24, a little bit off that. And I, ha I have, sometimes I'm very far back, so I have a pair of binoculars and I have prescription lenses on my binoculars so I can wear, wear them wrapped around my head and see far away. I use, I draw first probably in a pastel pencil and then I use ink, a Mont Blanc pen, which is in the, Fountain Pen Hospital right now because it broke. And I um, then I use pastels, which I have a lot of about, you know, I dig in a box of that I built 40 years ago, a box of pastels that fits on the bench next to me. I, I actually now since pandemic ordered a lot more pastels because I had started doing some work on my computer at home and had a lot more space. So I started buying and ordering more colors and I got used to having more. So in pandemic seating in the courtroom, I'm at least six feet apart from people. So which gives me more room to bring in more colors. So now I have a box to my right, my old box with the little stubs in it. And then I have some new pastels on my left side, which takes up space. I take up a lot of space. I, I think people get unhappy with that, but too bad. During pandemic, it's okay. During when in the old days, I'd be right on top of the artist right next to me. Literally, our pads could overlap. But now I have more space because they don't want everybody right on top of each other with COVID. Right. And when when you're in the um, courtroom and the moments are happening, how do you choose which ones you end up beginning the sketch on? Because people are talking, they're they're having, uh, you know, they're gesticulating. They might be going from one topic to the next. And I can't imagine like having to figure out, OK, now I'm committing to this drawing. It, it is tricky. Committing to a drawing is is not a good word for me because I do sometimes make changes as I go along and sometimes I have to scrap what I start when something somebody may jump up and something else may happen. I have to like forget about that drawing and go start a fresh one. So I can't really commit, but I try to commit. I try to figure out what is important to the story that day and hopefully I get it right and and something may happen which may change my mind. That's the way I have to observe that. 
that's my job as sort of a, as a journalist. And uh, sort of something, I guess, bizarre that, that we touched on earlier uh, happened in the Ghislaine Maxwell trial where you were sketching her and, and your your artwork is amazing, by the way. Also on, on your website. I love the uh, the paintings around the city. So Ghislaine was, was staring right at you, sort of connected with you. Okay, I'll tell you about that day. That actually started... That sketch was done during a pre-trial hearing, which was a couple of weeks before the actual trial began. And in the pre-trial hearing, I was seated in the jury box in a different courtroom. It was this tiny courtroom. It was a wonderful seat. It was a dream come true to get that seat, right? Front view, no computer monitors blocking my view of her. I was maybe like 10 feet away from her and I could see everything. That's a luxury for me as a courtroom artist. I often am seated behind somebody. I'm peeking between heads. All kinds of things can go wrong in with my view. My view is important to me. So when I get a good one, I'm so happy. That day, she was brought in an unusual way. Once again, pandemic, and they didn't have the regular courtroom available. And she came in through some bat, some a different way. They walked her in 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 shackles, which is unusual. They usually take shackles off before bringing a defendant inside of a courtroom. But for some reason, the way it was set up this time, she was brought in. The shackles were taken off. I did a sketch of her in shackles, which was also very exciting, which I was happy to see. It was wow! Look at that! I got to draw that. And then she sat down after the shackles were off and started, you know, she saw I'm, I'm right there in front of her. And she started, she saw I'm sketching and she decided to sketch me too. And I wasn't going to let it throw me off. I know now that it went viral because I don't do social media, but other people have told me. And I know a lot of people thought, oh, how creepy, how scary. I mean, have a lot of interpretations. I don't really know why she did it, but I had to focus on what I was doing. I couldn't let that throw me off. I couldn't say, oh, I'm scared. You know, I have to keep going. That's my job. So I did the sketch of her. She was sketching me. And that's uh, how that sketch went that day. I think from the outsider's point of view, we've read a lot about her and the the Epstein trial. And I mean, all of that is just horrific. And to have her persona built up in, in one's head and then see that sketch of her sketching you was like chilling. And and I think it being your job, you're you're handling it in a professional way. But I, the second I saw it, I was like, oh, wow. Oh, because she's I, I mean, I've never met her, but everything that's she's involved in is just so, again, horrific to me. Just having someone do that. Ugh. Well, I think Epstein was a bit even creepier. Oh, absolutely. Horrific. I mean, Glenn didn't come off to me when she entered a courtroom. I didn't know all the facts yet. I hadn't heard testimony yet. I mean, this is this woman. She's slightly built. She's not, you know, she's thin, tall, slender, elegant looking. She didn't look like a horror. But I mean, I do know what she was convicted of doing, a horrific acts. And I know, you know, it's still... Her drawing me did, you know, I was happy to have a connection with her, which, by the way, developed after that initial sketching. She must have read some article or something because then she started waving to me and giving me the eyebrow nods. And and there was even a day she said a sentence to me and, you know, she said, oh, long day, isn't it? it was just, you know, just I was happy to have something where she turned to look at me because my job is to see her. And I don't want somebody to plop in their chair and face the front like a blob. And all I get to see is the back of their head. 
It's really a great thing as a courtroom artist to get that front view, just like a, a photographer might shout out somebody's name as they're walking by. So they turn for a second. I was getting that. And that's what I needed as a courtroom artist to see her. And it was great. I got a lot of, she was very animated. She did a lot of kissing of her lawyers. She had a lot of expression going on, even with a mask, which I, is another issue. I'm drawing only half a face. I'll have her eyes and eyebrows and hair, which thankfully she had. It, it was challenging and, and that's what I had to work with. And that's what I did. And I was appreciative to get something with her connected. And so some of that behavior was kind of, I guess, big and her sketching you. So that, that wasn't something that creeped you out. You were just trying to do your job. Looking back, that wasn't an intimidation tactic on her part, probably. I, it may have been. I can't yeah. get inside her head and know what her motives were. I just don't. I'm not a good mind reader. <laughs> I don't know what her, her interpret her reasons were. Maybe she just likes likes art. As a matter of fact, her two she had twin sisters in the courtroom, and both of them did sketching as well. They always brought a little pad, did tiny little sketches. I actually looked at one. It wasn't that bad. It was a teeny tiny profile of one of the lawyers who was in the well at the moment. And I don't know what was in Glenn's mind. And I'm not that like the rest of the world can interpret it how they want. And maybe they're all right. And I don't really know. And with this being such a high profile case, and you've worked on other high profile cases, do you ever get caught up in the moment of the trial? All the cases I do are high profile. I have to say that nobody's going to hire me to do a case that's not high profile. And if it wasn't high profile, by the time I'm done with it, it's high profile because it's going to go out and people are going to read a story and see the picture. So all the cases I do are high profile. I was just wondering if while the trial is going on, do you form an opinion on on who's on trial? Do you do you say if I was on the jury? Sometimes I I do. I do form an opinion. That doesn't mean my opinion is what I'm sketching, because that's not my job. It's not my job to, to let the audience see what my opinion is. My job is to show what's actually happening in the courtroom at that moment. Never mind my opinion. And I may agree or disagree with what the jury verdict is, but I still have to sketch the way it is. I have to draw the likeness. I have to capture the moments that are happening before me. And I'm not there to, to tell people what my opinion is. And did you get a look at the sketch she made of you? No, I never did see it. Although when I was leaving the courtroom I, at the same moment as her lawyer was going out during a break, I did go running after her down the hallway and I said, so, so what was that sketch like? And she said, oh, Jane, you know, I can't discuss that with you. That was her lawyer, Bobby Sternheim. So, you know, they can't tell, you know, that's the way that went. I never did see it. Oh, that's too bad. I, that was not the only time she sketched me. You know that during the trial, she swiveled around in her chair and, and pulled out her pad and started sketching me other times, too. Just in case she's listening, we would like to put the uh, call out there that she can uh, somehow provide you with a copy, maybe a digital copy of, of the sketch. Or maybe provide you with one. Or, or us. We, yeah, we'll take that, too. <laughs> um, so if you're in the uh, courtroom and you're sketching someone like Eddie Murphy and you said that he sketched you back, are you allowed to, to crack a smile or, or do you have to stay like stoic? If I'm able to crack a smile, I do. You know, if I'm busy working and so intently not able i'm focused so intensely that i there's nothing showing on my face but there are moments that i mean there are jokes in court I, 
I'll laugh at those, but I may be working. And I, nobody knows I'm, I'm not like laughing with, you know, my mouth open and like everybody could see me. I'm drawing. So you're so professional. I clearly don't spend a lot of time in court. <laughs> yeah. I feel like you're rubbing it in how professional you are. You say, you say, look at, look at how professional I am and how unprofessional you guys are. <laughs> That's not what I'm trying to do. It's just, this is my job and I'm explaining how it goes. And I know, I'm just kidding. And I am intense when I work. I'm, my husband has made jokes about how it, you know, nobody can interrupt. Uh, not now, not now. It's like, don't talk to me when I'm working. I'm very intense. It's just focus, focus. That's how I have to do it. It's a hard job, really hard job. I have to focus intensely. And we'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Kickoff for Super Bowl 34. The Titans Rams 2000 Super Bowl, an instant classic. Hours after the game, two men were stabbed in the street, accused of being in the middle, the greatest linebacker in NFL history. Ray Lewis and two friends are charged with murder. The nation's eyes were glued to their televisions. The trial concluded and the verdicts came back. Not guilty. What you can learn from all this is that big cases make for big mistakes. Look what happened in O.J. Simpson. And look what happened in Ray Lewis. Lewis went on to have a Hall of Fame career. But questions around that night in Atlanta still remain. So what do you think they're hiding? They know what happened. They know exactly what happened. After 20 years, it's time to get to the bottom line truth. From Tenderfoot TV, I'm Tim Livingston. And this is The Raven. Listen for free on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. For ad-free listening and early access, subscribe to Tenderfoot Plus on tenderfootplus.com. New England is known for its charming towns, comforting foods, and of course its historical contributions. But the Down East region can have a dark side. I'm investigative journalist Kylie Lowe, and on my weekly podcast, Dark Down East, I dig into both decades-old and modern-day cases from my home state of Maine and the greater New England area. In each episode of Dark Down East, I seek insight from law enforcement officials, family members, and other loved ones who are both deeply familiar with the cases and the individuals at the heart of them. Join me as I unveil intricacies of these stories that are often overlooked, honor the grit of those searching for justice, and shine a light on cases that you aren't hearing on other podcasts. Listen to Dark Down East now, wherever you're listening. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Thanks to our sponsors, and now we're back to the program. 
Yeah, and you don't even know when you're really working because they can call you in at any time. During this interview, they could call you in, right? That's, thankfully, today, I, I scheduled is a, a holiday and courts are closed. That's why I was able to do this today because I am on call for breaking news and I can be called any moment to go. I have my, my kit, my pastels, my portfolio, my luggage cart, all sitting by my door, ready to go out the door. Every night when I come home, I, I sharpen my pencils, put fresh paper in and set the whole thing up so I'm ready to go the next morning if I get called or I may know I'm, I have to go the next morning. I'm always ready to go. It's the way it has to be. Again, I never th- I never thought I would be fascinated by this. I love the fact that this profession exists and you have a go bag for when you just need to go. I, yeah. I think it's amazing. Yeah. And sometimes now back, I'm back working remotely, it seems, because of Omicron COVID. And it seems like they've started doing more remote proceedings. So now I have to open my kit for, by the door and bring it back by my computer and I don't enjoy working on the computer as much as from life. It's a very big difference. I really prefer life work, you know, live drawing is what I like. Yeah. And how does it work virtually? So do you, you're, you're over zoom or something? Yeah. I get a link and I have to sketch on my computer, get dust all over the keyboard and everything. And that's how virtual work. Oh, I did the whole R Kelly trial. On a, on a, in an overflow room. I never was allowed to be present inside the courtroom. I had to go to court every day, sit in an overflow room and watch the proceedings on one of two large uh, television monitors. And it was blurry and hard to see. And that was what I had to do. It was what I had to work with. I couldn't get in until the, ver- the, the day of the verdict. They let me sit, go inside the courtroom but I had never been in the courtroom before that. It was pretty exciting to get in finally. I don't, you know, it's a very different thing to work virtually than to work from life. Yeah, I'm sure it makes it more difficult to uh, develop an honest sketch, which is, you know, what you're trying to do. I had only one, my view was what the photographer gave me or what the, the camera gave me. It wasn't what I see looking around. So that's all I had to work with. And not only that, it's usually very blurry. So I, it's barely, I can barely make features out. It's really a big struggle for me. And I don't want to uh, lose the lead on that. You, you just dropped in the nugget of being at the R. Kelly trial. What was it like getting that call? That's the way. So I ready. I didn't just get a call out of nowhere and that this trial is coming. The arraignments are where I get those crazy calls. Go now. Somebody was arrested. The trial, everybody knows it's coming up. There's a date in place. Like I know Michael Avenatti and Stormy Daniels are coming to court. The trial will begin next week. I know that in advance. And, you know, that's scheduled a month or even a year before whatever the, this They do have a schedule. That's not one of those cold calls where I have to jump and run. And so that's how R. Kelly was. I knew I was going to have to be there. But in between R. Kelly and Ghislaine Maxwell, there was another trial, which was virtual, which was uh, Chauvin. Derek Chauvin, the person who murdered, uh, was found guilty of murdering George Floyd with the knee on the neck. That was pretty gruesome. I did that one at home from my computer monitor, but I had to look at George Floyd being murdered over and over and I had to really look people usually look away or, you know, get squeamish and which I felt in my gut, in my stomach, I was getting a little squeamish, but I had to really look, I had to draw that. So I couldn't look away. 
was really hard for me because it was repeatedly shown all different angles of him with the knee, and the knee on the neck. I had to see his face and the life snuffed out of him, you know, from each minute of it. And the moment his last breath was drawn, that was hard. Sounds rough. And you had to do sketches of, of that video. That's right. Every day, over and over, same thing, him being rolled over and put in an ambulance, every bit of that, because that, that was what the trial showed. They kept showing videos because that's what how they fig- they got him with bystanders took videos from their cell phones and they kept repeatedly showing them. They were from different angles. And how many sketches in a day do you do? I'm going to say on a trial, full day when I'm, you know, what a full day. Of, it's very different. When it's, it's, if it's an arraignment, I'll do probably just one sketch. But if somebody's, if it's a trial that goes the full day, I'm going to roughly say six to eight in a day. You know, generally seven, six, seven, eight. I, I don't know. It depends how many witnesses there are and how long the same witness is on the stand. If one witness is there all day and sometimes they're there for a few days, that happens in some trials. If one witness is there, I'll do a wide shot. I'll do a close up shot. I'll do two shot, a three shot. You know, it depends what I've got to work with. But if this, they keep changing witnesses, that's when I'm just doing one head on a page. And then I have to quickly get my paper and do another head because it's another witness. So I may have more sketches, but they're less detailed, they're less people in the sketch. And why do you do only the high profile cases? Because I'm hired by the media. I'm not hired by the courthouse. I'm hired by the media and they don't want to pay me to go to court unless it's a story that they they need to have sketches of because they're unable to get their cameras inside the courtroom. So that's why I'm sent. And going back to the uh, Chauvin trial and how you had to watch that over and over, that has to be traumatic on some level for you to see that over and over and over again. You're also a uh, plain air painter in New York City. Does that help you deal with those moments to just get outside and, and paint something that's just as far removed from whatever you've seen a hundred times that day? Well, I'd, obviously, when I'm working on a trial, I have, have zero time left over in a day to draw anything. So paint. I haven't really been painting. And I have to tell you also, during pandemic in New York City, I have not been outdoors with an easel. I do not feel comfortable on the streets of the city putting up an easel and a canvas and and not being aware of what's around me. Because there's a lot of emotionally disturbed people. There's a lot of crime, random crime. It's pretty different here in the city now. Homeless people, angry people. There's, it's just not making me comfortable to go out there and focus on an easel. I, I've, I have to keep my eyes open, my ears listen. I have to know what's going on around me at all moments, right? I'm outside, I'll go out, but it's not like I'm going to get lost in a canvas right now. That's how I feel. That's a great answer. That's exactly the opposite of what I thought you were going to say, and I love that answer. Does, does seeing all of these uh, trials and, and hearing about criminals and uh, just being in that world, does that make you more aware of these external circumstances and you know just being uh, you know aware of your surroundings at all times? I don't think that... I think that I'm not the only one aware. I think people who read any tabloid, who looks at a headline of a tabloid or turns on the news for a second is going to hear about the crime in New York City at the moment. It's not only New York City. It's a lot of places. There's, it's just going on. There's, it's a, a rough time now. So I don't think it's because I'm a courtroom artist that I'm more aware. I, 
I am I am aware when people are arrested and if there's a photo of them or if I'm going to end up having to go to court, I do pay attention to the news for that reason. Not, you know, and there is I'm seeing too much crime in the papers. It's not just what I'm sent to court to cover. It's it's happening all around me. And as far as your job is concerned, when you're doing sketches, you, I guess it, it, maybe it makes it easier. It's, it's more uh, something to grasp onto when the person is expressive in some way. I'm sure Stormy Daniels and uh, Avenatti's trial will probably fit that in that folder. But um, was Ghislaine's like that as well? Oh, she was very expressive. And that was great for me. She had a lot going on. I don't expect that to be happening in Avenatti. I've sketched him before. uh, Yeah, he just kind of sits there. I mean, as a lawyer, he was animated, but now he'll be a defendant. So he'll just, I don't expect a lot. And he's not going to be hugging and kissing his lawyers. I'll tell you that. And um, Glenn Maxwell did offer me a lot of activity. She'd walk in the courtroom immediately hug. She hugged everyone on her team one by one. Everybody got a hug, a kiss. She sat down. She would her. She'd turn around in her chair to face maybe her family or the audience to see what's going. She wasn't just sitting there quietly like a lump. No, Glenn did a lot. And you said that you don't typically get starstruck and that's understandable. But is there somebody out there that if you ever had to sketch them, you'd be nervous doing it? Have you ever thought of that? Obviously, Tim and myself, you'd be very nervous <laughs> sketching us. <laughs> There's nobody that's going to make me starstruck anymore. I mean, I'm just it's been a lot. 41. I don't know how many years. A lot since 1980. I'm not going to be starstruck. I'm, I may be nervous, but I'm under pressure all the time. I'm nervous because of the stress of my job. And will I get a good seat? That's what I worry about the most. Will I be able to see? Because sometimes I can't. And I have to like have one split second. Somebody may turn. Oh, there it is. And then he's gone or she's gone. And I have to, that's what it's all about for me. Will I get the view? Will I be able to see something? There's a lot of equipment in courtrooms that blocks my view. They don't always put me in the front row like they used to. The Glenn Maxwell trial, except for that pre-trial, during trial, I was in the third or fourth row back. There were a lot of heads blocking my view. It, it was very, very complicated and difficult. So that's what makes me nervous, the stress of getting the seat, getting set up. Once I'm all set up in my chair with my pastels laid out, I'll be okay if I know I'm going to have a view, but otherwise I'm going to worry and try to tap people on the shoulder. Can you just move an inch? You know, I'm going to hope to see through your head and your head. It's rough. You know, that's what worries me. What about outbursts? Would you have to sketch that? And I guess how could you, like, would that make it harder? Because it's obviously not a still life in front of you. It happened. It was a moment that happened. But that's what makes my job exciting. An outburst is something. It's not just, Uh, You know, people sitting still like lumps, which is a little boring. That's what I have to pay attention for. Of course, I'm going to have to sketch that. And as I said, I'm going to have to change whatever I'm working on and draw, pull out a sheet of paper and start a fresh drawing. That happens to me often. And that's exciting. Actually, that's where the adrenaline gets flowing. And I love that. I'm needed to do something else. You know, I have to get that moment. God, stop being so professional. (laughs) Tim's so jealous. Um, (laughs) I I have a, I have a really, uh, again, it might seem like a throwaway question, but I'm really curious about this. Do you do anything with your hands to like keep them strong so you can 
Do you have like exercises that you do? No, but I, I can tell you that because I dig in a box of pastels every day, my skin gets very dried out in the, especially during the winter months and it cracks. And so for the past several years, I've been wearing finger cots, which are these latex things over for, I have them mostly for my two fingers, my thumb and the next finger. But then the last year I've been wearing on the third finger because they just really dry up my, my skin. It's not good to dig in chalk all day long. Interesting. Now, I, I'm, I'm curious if you think I have a future here because I, I just sketched you. So just tell me, <laughs> tell me if I have a future Let's here. Let's see what you got. That's pretty good. You got the glasses right? Yeah, yeah. yeah it's not too bad. Not yeah. too bad. You, you can get my job. Go ahead. Start I'm going so jealous. Forward. He's never sketched me, Jane. Well, oh, I just haven't shown he you. He will. He will. <laughs> <laughs> well, this, is, this has been such a great conversation. Thank you so much. Okay, you're welcome. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.